amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Amen. What a great song. What a great truth. Reading from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We pray that uh, this morning you will be with your people. I pray that their ears would be attentive to the word of God this morning, that they won't leave here, and before they get out the back door, forget about everything we talked about, but that you'll cause them to concentrate, that you will deliver your word through your servant this morning, and that uh, it will be life-changing for these people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are coming to the end of our series, More Than Enough, in the book of Colossians. And Paul reminds us that believers are to be identified with Christ who has absolute supremacy. He's superior and he's supreme. The book has said that. If it hasn't said anything else, it has said that for sure. And he has called us to live our lives in an extraordinary way. And you think about that and you say, how are we to live out such a challenging assignment? How in the world do we live out such a challenging assignment? Well, let me tell you that you are not alone in this crazy world. You're not alone. He's with you. And you have the power to overcome, and it is available to you by simply looking up in prayer. Simply looking up in prayer. Praying about things that you're going through and that others are going through. So Paul in our passage this morning is winding down the letter to the Colossians and we've looked at a series of exhortations over the last few weeks, especially when we got into chapter 3 and 4, like tons of exhortations. And exhortation is just another word for instruction. He's been giving instruction along the way and he's ending it and he's winding it down and there's a series of exhortations. First one is about prayer and how we should pray. Then he proceeds to speak about how to walk and how to talk to effectively share the gospel with unbelievers. So these exhortations we'll find in our passage, and we find that as you read it. And so let me continue on. First thing I want to talk about is a sound prayer life. What does it look like? What does a sound prayer life look like? We should be, according to the passage, we should be, I, I call it being faithful. Devote yourselves to prayer. Be faithful to have a prayer life. Amen? Devoted. Be diligent about your prayer life. Make it a just something that you have to do. 
I can't walk out the door this morning without talking to the Lord first. Amen? So I think that persevering is what I like to say. I'm going to be faithful to pray to my God. I'm going to persevere in it. It takes a lot of work. It's hard work. Why is it so hard to talk to God? Why? Because you don't intend to do it. If you make it an intention, if you say, I'm going to be diligent about praying, I'm going to talk to him daily. I'm going to get up every morning and before my feet hit that floor, before I walk out of my bedroom to get that first cup of coffee that I desperately need, I'm going to start talking to him. I'm going to make it a point that's going to be what I'm going to be about. I'm going to be about prayer. Oh, would you please make it what you're about? This world is in desperate need of people praying for it. So persevere. That's the first thing you see. Devote yourself. Be faithful. Be faithful to pray. Prayer is not a spiritual luxury. It's not just this, I've got this luxury, I pray when I want to. Oh, no, you should be all about prayer. You should be devoted to it. And really that word devoted meant to be busily engaged in it. I'm going to be busy about the, the work of prayer. And it's work. It's hard work. We've been doing a Wednesday night prayer meeting around here. Started out with about 25 or 30 people. We're down to about 15, I think, maybe. Yeah, it's hard work. It's the thing that I, I told the preaching team this week. I said, this passage has two of the three things that people can feel guilty about like that. And it does. It's prayer and evangelism are in this passage. And they're two of the things that when we talk about them, heads fall. Why? Because you can never pray enough and you can never talk about Jesus Christ enough. You can't. But if you intend it, make it an intention. Prayer is essential for growth in your Christian life. If you want to have a Christian life that grows, you better be about prayer. I don't think your prayer, I don't think your Christian life can go very far without praying. I don't believe it can. And it is a vital part of your Christian walk. It's vital. It is as vital to our spiritual life as air is to your physical life. Just try holding your breath for a while and see how long you go. If you can hold it long enough, you'll pass out. And then your body will take back over and you'll start breathing again. But prayer is an important portion of your spiritual life. I know that to be true in my own life. I remember I read a book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Simula. And it ignited me. It ignited me to pray. To pray. I grew up in church. I knew what prayer was. I knew what it meant. I knew how you had to have it, and yet I didn't do it. Yeah. But I read that book, and the truths came out. You have to have a prayer life. If you don't have a prayer life, you'll be defeated. You'll just be defeated. It needs to be continual. It's continual. You need to be steadfast in it. So what he's saying in that first verse, devote yourself to prayer. Pretty convicting. First Thessalonians 5, 17 is where Paul says, listen to this. I have to get my other glasses on. 
I'm horrible. I just told him in the first service, I just started up Medicare and I need about four sets of glasses now for some reason. I thought only old people had to read through glasses. I guess I'm there. Listen to what he says. I, I love verse, this is chapter five of 1 Thessalonians. You all know this. This is one that you memorize because it's only three words. But you should memorize it because you need to be reminded of it. But in 16, he says, rejoice always. And then the next phrase, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. That seems like it has to be a continual thing. Now, it doesn't mean you walk around muttering prayers under your breath. But we're going to talk about a couple other things that prayer is meant to be in this passage. And I think you'll understand the whole need for being continual in it. And then he goes on in that passage in verse 18. He says, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What a passage. What a passage. And it's just supporting what we're talking about, about being devoted in your prayer life, being devoted to it. And the second thing he says here, there's three things that he says about prayer here. He says, keeping alert. Keeping alert. Um, I, some translations say, watchful. To be watchful in your prayer life. You know, our brother Willie Cooper over here, that when we preach, every guy that preaches wants to hear, watchman, watchman. Why is he saying that? Some of you don't understand that. Because as elders in the church, as pastors in the church, we're standing on a wall and we're watching out for the people and we're telling people the truth through scriptures. And we're the watchmen that God's put on that wall to continue to tell you what God said in his scriptures. And you're a watchman. And you're a watchman. You should be a watchman in your prayer life. You should be watchful. And what that really means when you say watchful is stay awake. Be on the alert. Stay awake. Be aware of what's going on around you. Are you aware that the United States is going to hell in a handbasket this morning? And we could stand aside and not pray and just watch it happen. Or we can get on our knees and we can start to pray for a nation that desperately needs a Savior. They don't need another government. They don't need Republicans or Democrats. They need Jesus Christ. And we've been told to be on the alert, to be the watchman, to be watchful. Spiritual drowsiness or sleep can be caused by paying too much attention to the world. I'm paying too much attention to it. I just fall asleep thinking that they got all the answers. They got no answers. They don't. But Jesus Christ has an answer for them. So you can get to falling asleep and get a little drowsy and kind of forget to pray because you start paying more attention to what's going on in the world. And the world system is designed to do that exactly. It's designed completely to make you get distracted and forget about the one that died for you. 
and forget to meet with him on a daily basis. So easy to do. Shouldn't happen, but it's easy for it to happen. You gotta be devoted to it. You gotta be watchful. You have to keep alert in it. The other thing that happens is you get the wiles or the attack by Satan by satanic influences. It's another thing that'll stop you from praying. I'm reminded of what Peter said there in 1 Peter 5, 8. Oh, let me look it up. I'll try not to leave anything out. 1 Peter, I know it's in my Bible. Let me get these glasses back on. Listen to this. Therefore, verse 6 of, of chapter 5, I'll just read a little bit up and come down to it. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. You know why you don't pray? Because you don't humble yourselves. I got this one, God. I can take care of that. Well, good luck if you get that attitude going. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares or anxiety on him because he truly cares for you. You know what I see here? Sometimes we run to each other and cast our cares on each other. Right? I think you're my friend. I can tell you this one. You might not care a lick about what I'm telling you. Well, that's too bad. You want to go on to something else. I, I'm busy talking to someone else. I got to get away from you. Oh, but if I cast my cares on him, I know, I know without a doubt that he cares for me. He cares about every prayer. I'll keep listening. Here comes the Satan part. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You can resist him by standing firm in your faith. If you get lazy in prayer, if you get drowsy and start falling asleep, you're about to be the meal of the lion. And I'm going to tell you, you need to be with the saints. If you're at home watching this online and the reason you're home is because you're debilitated and can't get here, stay there and keep watching. But my goodness, if you can be here this morning, where are you? Why do you want to be isolated? You ever watch a lion hunt? Who do they attack? They don't attack the whole herd. They get you, they get them off to the side over here. And they hunt in packs. Not just one. He'll send multiple ones after you. But he's like a lion seeking someone to devour. And guess what? There's enough people that don't pray. There's enough people that aren't influenced by God enough. They're a good meal for him a lot of times. But if you get isolated, he hunts. Guess what he hunts? The lion hunts the sick and afflicted. He hunts the aged. He hunts the baby. They're the ones that are defenseless. And if you get by yourself, the rest of the herd cannot protect you. I've watched the water buffaloes when lions go to attack them. You know what they do? They get their heads together. 
They get their heads together and they start kicking. But if you're by yourself, you got no kick. If you get isolated, if you get under the devil's influence, you got no kick. You've got to be with God's people. What's he say in Hebrews 10 there? He says, don't forsake the assembling of the saints when they come together. Now, he doesn't say that so we can count you and have a big number on Sunday. He doesn't do that. He says that when you come together, you might encourage one another. Does anybody here today need to be encouraged? Oh, every one of you needs to be encouraged. You might not have clapped, but you need to be encouraged. Hopefully the word of God is going to do that today. So we need to stay on the alert because Satan would love to devour you. He'd love to treat you like a big old plate of ribs. But if you're watchful, if you're alert, he's no match for the one that we're alert to. He's no match to my Savior. He's not. And then the third thing I see in this is about your attitude. It's about your attitude. What's your attitude when you pray? You better give me this, God. I, got, I came to the ATM machine. I punched in the right code. I come in the name of Jesus. Give me what I want. No, no, no. He says to come with an attitude of thankfulness. Come to him being thankful. Reminds me of my... It's a, just having a proper attitude toward God. I believe that believers who pray with gratitude and thanksgiving for what God has done for them are less likely to be led astray by lures and the lies of the devil. You ever have the devil lie to you? He just gets in your head sometimes. And he says, they don't love you down there. Why do you go there? And you start to believe it. You start to believe it. You know, God doesn't love you. He gave up for He hasn't even answered your prayers. You go, I know you're a liar because he's answered my prayers. Your own heart will be your enemy. Gotta be careful. But how many of you have prayed long enough that you've seen God do some of the things that you've asked him for? Oh, so do you come and go, well, God, it's a good thing you did that. That you're God. You said you'd do it. It's a good thing. Well, he's just doing what he's supposed to do. Or do you come with a, Lord, I just want to say thank you. I just want to say thank you. What do you have to be thankful about today? Well, you woke up breathing, didn't you? He watched over you all night, didn't he? What about he sent his son to die for you? Could you ever be thankful enough? You've got to approach him with an attitude. I come here humbly before you. I come with a heart of thanksgiving. That thanksgiving gives me hope to pray for something else because he keeps meeting me there. He'll meet you there. I, my prayer for myself is that he'll cause me to get so humble before him, so low before him. And, and Spurgeon said it, I want to come in so low that I can taste the dust as I talk to him. But with thankfulness, he's saying pray with thankfulness. Stop believing the lie. 
Remember what he's already done for you. Satan says he doesn't care for you. He doesn't care about you. You're asking for things and he's not even listening to you. I'm saying you're a liar. He cares so much that he would package his son in a baby and bring him here through the virgin birth and he would die on a cross for me. That's how much he loves me. That's how I can be thankful. We are to share the most in our communication with God through faithful, watchful, thankful prayer. But our prayers are not just to be for ourselves. I love that Paul says here in verse 3, he starts it up as going into our second section, but it's a, it's a fourth thing I saw in prayer. And pray also for us. You're to be an intercessor of prayer. You're supposed to pray for others ever interceding for one another and I thought of it it hit me like a two by four in the head when I read this I'm like wait a minute when's the last time I prayed like this oh God would you please open a door for Tim Ballstrom to be able to share the gospel with Diana's family who are fast running to hell if they don't get a hold of the Savior if he doesn't get a hold of their life they're not going to make it when's the last time you prayed for another brother to have that influence Man, we need to be praying. Look at your neighbors. You should be praying for them. You should say, oh, I'm asking God to give you an open door, Scott, because you know people I don't know. I can't get to everybody, and neither can you, but we can pray for one another. Oh, that you'll have an influence in people's lives. Be watchful, thankful prayer, but also interceding for one another. Do you see it in the passage? It's so clear. Praying at the same time for us as well. And you notice Paul doesn't say in this particular passage to only pray for him. He does that in some other passages. But in this one, he says, pray for us. Pray for all of the guys that are helping minister with me. He had a group. He's gonna, next week, they're going to share. We have John Baytrans coming. He's going to preach this final message in Colossians. And he's going to preach about all those that are with him, all the ones that he's ministering with. And so that's who he says. He says, pray for us as well. What? Pray for my health. Does he say that? Not what he says. He doesn't say pray for my health. He doesn't say pray that I'll get a new car. Pray that I'll get a better job. He doesn't say that. What's he say? That God will open up to us a door for the word. Oh, man. So that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. What is the mystery of Christ? It's the good news. And every one of you that have accepted Christ should have this good news in your mouth at all times. You should be ready. And that's what he's going to say. So that we may speak for the mystery of Christ for which I have been in prison. Did you forget that he was in prison? We started this book off by telling you he's writing this letter to the people from prison. He's in chains. And what's he asking for? I was amazed. He's not asking for an open cell door. He's not asking to come out of the chains. He's saying, oh, would you give me an open door that I might speak the word of God to somebody and tell them the mysteries of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying there. He's like, just give me an open door to be able to speak the word of God. I'm in prison. I'm in chains right now. But guess what? There's a guard here. There's other prisoners here. I still have a message to tell. So your circumstances don't change what you should be doing as far as the gospel is concerned. You say, well, my job, they won't like me if I do that. Well, get over it. 
Get over it. Guess what? Sorry. I stand here and I call myself a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I need an open door. I need an open door. And guess what? On Friday, I got to speak at a funeral right here. Over 225 people were here. And I'd say 80% of them, maybe more, don't know the Lord. They don't know the Lord. And I'm studying this passage. I'm like, Lord, you're giving me an open door. You're giving me an opportunity to speak to these people in their lives. Matter of fact, you're giving me an open door, and they're coming through the door. I don't even have to go through the door to go get them. They're coming in here. I told them that as I preached to them on, on Friday. I said, hey, I would be wrong if I didn't tell you this message. It'd be easy for me just to talk about the woman who died and do all of that and, and make you all feel good about yourself. I'm not here to win any kind of popularity contests. I'm here to tell you about Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you, if you don't accept my Savior, the place you're going is not heaven. It's going to be hell for you. And I don't want you to go there. I don't want, you think of your worst enemy. Would you want them to live in hell for eternity? Oh, but sometimes our actions are louder than our thoughts even. We're going to talk about that in a minute. The other thing he says in verse 4 here, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. That I might make the message clear in the way that I ought to speak. Now this is Paul. This is Paul. And he's saying, would you pray that I could get clarity? That's what he's saying. He wants clarity. And pray for clarity of thought so that you can speak. That's what you should be doing. You should be praying for yourself even in this. I'm praying that, God, when you give me that opportunity, that I'll see the door. And let me tell you something. If you start asking God to give you an opportunity to witness, you better get ready. Because that is definitely in his will. It is definitely, you know, sometimes you pray for things, you're like, well, I don't know if this is God's will or not, but I'm going to ask him anyway, because if I don't ask, I'm not getting it anyhow, so I might as well ask, right? But this one here, you can ask, but you better be ready. Because I promise you, if you start saying, God, send somebody that I can witness to, they're coming. You better get prepared. That's why we're preaching this message, to help prepare you. But I'm like, man, I've found that to be true. Every time I've prayed that way, that day, that day, I run into, you know what happens? You also become acutely aware of whenever it's presented to you. When you're praying on it, when you're thinking on it, when you do that and you're asking God to help you, all of a sudden, the little door that just has a little crack, you're no, that thing looks like a huge gate that opens up. And you can't shut up about Jesus Christ. You can't. He's going to put the words in your mouth. He'll let you do it. I can promise you that. You might be like thinking, I'm tongue-tied. I can't. Oh, stop, Moses. Stop it. I got a job for you. I saved you. I've equipped you. You're capable. All right. I'm leaving so much out, but I got to. Third thing, we see it in five and six. So we talked about early. He talks about our walk and our talk. Our walk and our talk. And it's regarding how you can witness. 
you want to become a witness of Jesus Christ, you better have a walk and you need a talk that lines up with that. Okay, so listen. He says, conduct yourselves. Verse five, conduct yourselves. I think of that as my walk. That's my walk. I'm gonna conduct myself with wisdom. Just wisdom in general? I now know nuclear science. No, I don't know anything about nuclear science. With wisdom toward outsiders. Who are the outsiders? They're the ones outside of the body of Christ. They're the ones that need to be in the body that are out there still. They're outsiders. They're not Christians. They don't believe the way you believe. They're outsiders. Now, I'm praying that he'll give me wisdom toward them, the unbelievers, making the most of every opportunity. Making the most of every opportunity. You ever pray like that? Do you ever pray like that? I think most people don't. And guess what? They don't get the opportunity because they're not praying and asking God to give it to them. If we are to be effective in sharing the gospel, we have to use wisdom. Wisdom allows us to be bold while at the same time being tactful. Not grabbing a guy in a headlock and telling him he needs this. First of all, make sure he's smaller than you if you do that. But don't do it that way. Use wisdom in how you're going to talk to them. Ask God for the wisdom that you need. Wisdom enables us to discern the proper approach in whatever the situation is. You ever been, I've been with a guy that I am 1,000% he has the gift of evangelism. Manny Fernandez, he's our World Link missionary. This guy, I'm telling you, no matter what the situation is, no matter where he's at, no matter what's going on, he has a way of being able to grab that conversation and turn it into a gospel presentation. It's amazing to me. He has wisdom from God. He has giftedness, but he has wisdom. He's asked for that wisdom. God, give me a way that I can translate regular conversations into something about Jesus Christ. Our pastor, Phil Howard, the founding pastor of this church, I've been with him. I've learned so much just by being with him. When, he, when you introduce him to one of your friends, hey, are you a Christian? Whoa, I can't believe you just said that. But he did. He would do that. Are you a Christian? And you'd see the, the neighbor or whoever kind of back away, like, who is this guy? And he'd say, hey, listen to this. The next line would be, man, we want you to know our Savior because we want you to go to heaven with us. Wait a minute. Who do you know that doesn't want heaven? Who doesn't want to go to heaven? Everybody wants to go to heaven. They don't want God, but they want to go to heaven. Right? But I, I learned a lot from that. I'm like, you can be a little bold. You can be tactful. He was never rude to any of those people. It was very loving what he was telling them. So I think we need to work at that. We need to ask God for that wisdom. It's in the passage. Ask for the wisdom. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. And, and that making the most of, of the opportunity, um, it, it kind of has this connotation of snapping up the opportunity. When it's there, grab it. Go. You've been waiting for it. You've been asking God for it. Now it's there. Grab all that opportunity. Step through that door. Step through the open door. That's your walk. That's how you should be walking, conducting yourself with wisdom toward the unbeliever and making most of every opportunity. That's what I did on Friday. I preached the gospel to them. 
I told them they're going to hell if they don't believe it. And I thought, you know what? I don't care if you like me. I don't care if you like me. I have Galatians 1.10 that says, I don't do the things I do for the favor of men. I do the things I do for the favor of God. For if I was trying to please men, I would not be a follower of Jesus Christ. And guess what? That opportunity was in front of me. I snapped it up. I snapped it up. And here's the interesting thing. At the end of that service, I sitting over there, Ernie and the men came down to let the family go. I went and stood in the back lobby. And this is what people did. That's me, pulpit. They were walking, they'd see me, they'd go around, or they'd give you the eye like, that's the guy that said we're going to hell. All right? And you know what I did? I rejoiced in it. I rejoiced in it. They won't be able to leave without thinking about it. My wife, my wife Lynn, who's not able to be with us because of her broken ankle, she's doing much better, but she still can't walk all the way. She went to a funeral when she was 22 years old. She knew no Christians. The only Christian she knew was her brother and sister-in-law. She went to a funeral where a girlfriend of hers, 22 years old, or 21 years old, had been thrown from a truck, broke her neck, and died. Was on Highway 80, right too far from Terra Hills Drive there toward Richmond. And she went, and none of the people that she hung out with knew any ministers that could do a funeral. So Wilson and Kratzer provided a, a pastor to come in and do that funeral. Well, he knew none of them. He probably preached a lot of what I preached on Friday, just straight at him the gospel. And Lynn told me, she said, that man said, if this girl didn't know Jesus Christ, she's going, she's going to land in hell. And if you're here today, and that was you in the coffin, and you didn't know him, you're going to hell. He told him straight. Yeah, they, you know, back in those days, they used to, to preach pretty straight. And so she said, it led me to the Lord. It led me eventually to the Lord because she goes, I drove by that spot every day. The spot where my girlfriend was thrown from the truck and died, I drove by it every day going to work. And a lot of times I would think about her and think, if I died, if I died today, I'm going to end up in hell. And then other circumstances came along a little bit later, you know, he says some plant, some water, but God causes the growth. And so a little bit later on in her life, some other things happened, and she was at a point where she thought no one could love her. Some of the things she had done, she goes, how could anybody love me for what I've done? She said she was going home and was going to take a bottle of sleeping pills. But she remembered that her brother and sister-in-law had told her, Jesus will love you no matter what you've done. So she said, maybe I should go see my brother first. And she did. And they began to tell her about Christ. She ended up at Phil and Carolyn's house out on taper. This is a long time ago. They weren't even in Rodeo. They were way out. But no, most of you don't even know that. And Phil told me later, he said, I sat and played my guitar in a white T-shirt. Carolyn was feeding Rebecca. We told her how much Jesus loved her. She cried. We provided Kleenexes. And God changed her life. That day, her life was changed. And Phil told me, he says, and Larry, 
I've known her for 10 years now or however long it was. And her, him and Carolyn both said, and she's never looked back. She's never gone back to the old life. I asked her, I said, why didn't you go back? She goes, there was nothing there. Why would I want to go back to all of that mess? They had no answers for me when I was in trouble. When you're given an opportunity, even if it's an unfamiliar circumstance for you, preach the gospel every time. Tell them about Christ every time. But do it with wisdom. Do it with wisdom. The last thing is your talk. And I, I wanted to reverse these, but I'm going to do it the way Paul wrote it. I thought, man, you should have the talk, and then you should also conduct yourself according to the talk. He says, let your speech sometimes be with grace. Huh. Let your speech always. That's your talk. That's what comes out of your mouth. Let it always be with a gracious attitude. Let it, you speak with grace. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you about Jesus Christ. You don't deserve him. You don't. But he's a gracious God. And he said he'd give you what you could never get. You could never earn it. He'll give it to you. I'm going to speak with that same type of grace. I'm going to tell you something that God has put on my heart to tell you. He says, let your speech always be with grace. You ever been around somebody that's a gracious speaker? They're always gracious toward you. As though seasoned with salt. As though your speech is seasoned with salt. <laughs> it means to share the message of Christ in my, this is what I wrote down. To share the message of Christ with unbelievers, it is imperative, according to what Paul is saying, that our walking conduct be accompanied by flavorful talk. First of all, your walk has to be effective. You've got to be careful that you don't allow your walk to not reflect what you're talking about. Your walk should reflect what you talk. If not, please don't talk. Don't be a false advertiser. So it's to be gracious. We are to be gracious, not gruff. Not gruff. Not running the person over. Be charming. I know that's going to be really hard for some of you. Be charming rather than coarse. Not in the person's face because you're right. I got the message you need. They're going to be like, who are you? No. I have a message that Jesus Christ wants me to tell you today. And I must tell you. I must tell you with grace and I must season it with salt. It's interesting, seasoned with salt. I, I looked this up. Salt was used during Paul's time for mainly two purposes. It was a preservative to keep food from spoiling. So your speech should be free from things that would make it spoil. Corruption. Uh, unhidden sins. Your speech is to be wholesome. 
to be kind to one another, not joining in on the cut down of somebody and then trying to tell them about Jesus later. You know, you badmouth the guy all day. Now you go, let me tell you about Jesus. He's going to be like, I don't want to hear anything you have to say. First of all, you're not walking what you're talking. All right. The other thing it was used for was to give flavor to food, which is kind of what we use it for today. Speech should be interesting. It should be at times witty. I don't know anything about that, but it should be witty. It should be tactful. And most of all, I think it should be appealing. It should be appealing. And um, I said in first service, I know, of a, I know of a couple people that have this kind of speech to them. They're gracious and they're seasoned with salt. And one of them is my Aunt Carolyn. I think my Aunt Carolyn is like that. Um, very kind to people. Always sees the good. Um, not foolish enough to know that it's all good. But she sees good. And her speech is generally seasoned with salt. It's got a flavor to it that's appealing to people. Now, Phil's going to hit me later on. Why didn't I say it about him? Um, and he does the same. I already, already complimented him earlier, so I don't want to do too much. But these kind of actions, this graciousness, this seasoned with salt, it leads you to the final part. It leads you to know how you should speak to every individual, to each individual. You should be able to size it up. You've been praying for wisdom, right? You're praying for wisdom on how to share. You've been conducting yourself that way. You're conducting yourself with wisdom. You're, you're around outsiders. Everybody here has got outsiders in their life. You've got some people in your life that aren't saved, right? How bad do you want them to be saved? Do you want them to be saved bad enough that you're willing to give up this temporal relationship called earthly relationship? You see, on Friday when I met with those folks, there were some very nice people there. I don't want them to not like me. I don't. But yet I'm like, I have to be about the message. I'm here to please the Lord, not them. Now, I think what I found out is when I please the Lord, some of them are going to see what I'm talking about. And guess what? They're going to like me a whole lot more. The Lord gave me this picture a long time ago. It's not theologically correct. I understand that, but I want you to hear the, question, the thing that's in my mind. When I have the opportunity to share Christ with someone, when I get that chance, this picture comes in my mind and it makes me say it. It makes me use the wisdom that God's given me and how to tactfully talk to them. But it's this picture of there's two judgments in heaven that we're going to see. One of them is you're going to get a beam of seat judgment where Christ himself will reward you for the work that you've done for him. And you'll be able to take those crowns and you're going to eventually take the crowns and you're just going to give them back to him. You're going to put them right at his feet because every crown you're going to get couldn't be accomplished without God's help. So you're just going to give it back to him. So that's one. The other seat is the great white throne judgment where people will be cast into the lake of fire, into hell. So sometimes when I'm about to witness to somebody or that opportunity comes, that's what I get in my mind. I'm standing in the line with you guys thinking, whoa, we're going to get a crown from God today. Wow, I can't wait. Because that's what it's going to be like, I promise you. It won't be all sober and somber like church is. It'll be really happy, okay? It'll be a very happy time. First of all, you're getting to see the king of kings. 
right? So that's pretty exciting all by itself. But you're going to go and receive this award. But, but it's interesting. I get this picture, but then I look at the other line, and I see people that I had the opportunity to share Christ with, and I did not do it. And they're there going. They'll have no answer to the, to the judgment. They'll know. But what if they looked across and looked at you and said, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you walk the walk? Why didn't you talk the talk? Hmm. Very sobering, I know. And what it does is it makes me go ahead and tell them. <laughs> it's, it's the picture God gave me, and I think it's cured my, uh, my uh, timidness to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, I think when you talk to people, that being gracious, seasoned with salt, it's wonderful. But remember a few weeks ago we talked about putting on gentleness, kindness, meekness, all those things. If you're wearing that clothing, this stuff is pretty easy. And the overcoat was what? Remember the overcoat that I talked with you about? The overcoat was love. If you love people, it's easy to talk to them in a gracious way. It's easy to season your speech with salt and give flavor to what you're talking about. Be appealing. And it leads to everybody getting to hear the good news. Speaking with graciousness, using wholesome speech that is appealing, all the while delivering the mystery of Christ, sharing the good news. You never get out of sharing the good news, but learn how to do that in such a way that people will actually hear you. Actually listen. Now listen, I'm aware that some sow the seed. Christ, God said this in the scriptures. He says, some will cast the seed. Some will come along after that and water it. But God is the one that makes it grow. You know that little preacher man that preached that funeral that day? He was casting seed. But actually, he might have been watering because actually, Lynn's brother and sister had already told her about Jesus and what he had done for him. Because remember what she remembered? My brother told me that this Jesus would love me no matter what I've done. He foreknew you people. He knew everything you would do against him. If you're here today and don't know him and you think your sin is too great, let me tell you something. He knew exactly all the things you would do against him. He sent his son anyway, though, to die on your behalf. What a message. Why would we keep this bottled up? Why? But that little preacher, he either cast the seed or he watered it. But four months later, God caused a growth. And because of that growth, countless ones of your children have been cared for by that girl. She used to be in charge of the nursery. Some of you here today, she changed your diapers. What a thought. Yeah, all because somebody was not afraid to speak the truth and speak it in love and used wisdom to do so. I don't know if anybody will get saved from what happened on Friday, but I sure had a lot of questions come to me after. After all that walking around me, later on they started coming to me and asking me questions. I got to witness to a young man and talked to him, gave him Ephesians 2. So you never know. You don't know. But you've got to be 
ready. You have to take advantage of every opportunity. And let me tell you, if God saved you, he's giving you multiple opportunities. You're to be his ambassador and tell others about Jesus Christ. The application on this is everywhere. It's all over the message. It is. There's no specific, I'm going to come up with an application now. Are you kidding me? Devote yourselves to prayer. Get a prayer life. You want to you grow in your spirit? You want to become mature? Start praying. And that'll lead you. I found out I can't pray without reading the word. I can't read the word without having to pray eventually. We call it inhaling and exhaling. You inhale the word and you exhale in prayer. You got to do it. You got to do it. And your life will grow like you can't believe. Next thing you know, you'll be ministering to people. You'll be up here preaching like I'm doing. I never imagined me being here. But God had a plan. And we'll just keep following that plan until he's done with me. When he's done with me, he'll let me know. I believe I'll see him face to face when he's done with me, which will be okay also. But man, what a message, huh? What a simple little five verses here. But boy, if you could, if you could take the instruction, it'll change your life. And guess what? You'll be a benefit to those around you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this simple five verses and what it says. I was struck by several items in it, but that praying for my brother so that he might tell the gospel. (laughs) I just never had seen that before. Thank you for revealing that. Thank you for revealing the truth. Lord, I once again will pray that the seed of your word as it's gone into the ears of these folks. I pray, Lord, that um, they'll carry it with them long enough that it will at least last till they get out the back doors. Because it's so important, these instructions, huge, in just our daily walk with you, our daily speaking. Oh, I pray that a revival will break out at Valley Bible Church. And not because the preachers got up here and preached, but because the people, the people that attend here, they call this their home, will start to tell their neighbors. They'll start to walk the walk. They'll start to talk the talk. And God, I believe you'll be faithful and start to save some of those people because that's what you're about. You're about regenerating lives and people being born again. Thank you so much. We pray all of these things in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior and your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.